Have again, we have an ever expanding universe every single time we do a show that we gym. It seems like we're adding and multiplying like triples. What's up with that? That's pretty cool, man. I, I just, I, I love how, uh, I love how the, uh, the, the, the big happy family keeps, or the big happy fleet keeps growing, right? So it's That's just, right. uh, more, more bodies, more, more great conversations, and super cool to see it. I'm, I'm excited. Isn't that true? For everyone who's joining, maybe for the first time, this is Continuing Conversations, which is um, a podcast, everything about Star Trek Adventures RPG. I'm Michael DeSmuke with Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site uh, for Star Trek Adventures Ooh. RPG, proven by the numbers and statistics. I'm not just blowing steam here. <laughs> and, Jim, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, and then why don't you pass the baton, and everyone will introduce ourselves and get this party started as we discover a really cool subject today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. oh, very nice. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm uh, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game published by Modiphius Entertainment. Also a science fiction and fantasy writer, but we're here to talk about Star Trek and Star Trek Adventures. So let's focus on that. And uh, I'll just go clockwise around my screen here. So I will uh, pass the baton over to Jesse. Hi, I'm Jesse Earl. Many of you may know me as Jesse Gender on the YouTubes. Uh, I do videos about uh, Star Trek and LGBTQ issues in Star Trek and geekdoms and all that stuff. But more relevantly to this conversation, I wrote some of the character um, packs, part of the character packs for Star Trek Discovery Season 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. And then next, we've got uh, Roxanne. Hi, my name is Roxanne Thompson, uh, and I play all kinds of games. I'm a big fan of Star Trek Adventures, and I a couple, for a couple years now, I've been doing some of the layout design for uh, many smaller things for Star Trek Adventures and a couple bigger ones, but uh, yeah, love it. Awesome, awesome. Glad to have you here as well. Uh, next, we got Al. Hi, Al Spader, uh, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures, and I did some work on the uh, Discovery Character Packs. Brilliant. Thank you, Al. And then finally, uh, uh, Aaron, bring us home. I'm Aaron Pallier. I'm also a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I kind of do a lot of different things. I've written missions, but for Discovery, I did the science and technology sections uh, and a lot of the Starship stuff that dealt with the Starship, not the art. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then for the uh, for the crew for the uh, crew packs, you specifically did the uh, the Discovery, Discovery. Uh, stuff on the at the at the end of the uh, end of the packs, the uh, Discovery, and then for the um upcoming or actually i guess by the time this episode comes out it'll have already come out but the uh, the season three crew pack uh which will have the discovery a in it uh yeah. that comes out that comes out mid-may and but right now even though we're recording at the end of april by the time this episode comes out you will have already gotten that goodness in your hands if you choose to go buy it so and um, everyone should be suitably confused or impressed <laughs> one of the two i don't know yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> awesome. So I guess I guess the spoiler is already out what this episode is about. It's obviously about the Star Trek Discovery campaign guide mm -hmm. and the mission. Uh, the two uh, uh, character packs that have come out so far, and it. it it's amazing. I'm, I'm going to tell my own little testimony. You'll hear about my history with Star Trek Discovery. Um, because I'm such a diehard original Star Trek fan and Voyager and Deep Space Nine and, and TNG that I admit 
it hit me hard, the different pacing for discovery. Anyone who knows me knows I, my brain just couldn't adjust to it. And mm-hmm. I've been talking about it on social media because, um, again, I had the opportunity to work on some of these too. And so I had to go rewatch it. And recently after I got the discovery guide and read it in one day, after I got the new campaign guide, I said, let's watch it again. And I used it this time as a cliff notes with the show. And I'm like, <laughs> even today, my wife, I, she's like, you watched it again. I'm like, I'm telling you, I picked up stuff I never picked up before because now I have all the definitions. I have my little playbook here. I don't have to be tapping on memory alpha while I'm watching the TV. Um, And it actually made me appreciate the show even more. I started season two already yesterday. So I just want to say a thank you, big achievement for everyone who worked on it. And today what we're going to be doing is actually picking it apart like me and Jim always do, trying to get as many Easter eggs out of you as possible, get into your brain. I want to talk about um, Roxanne. Um, also, we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of the graphic design uh, of Star Trek Adventures over the past couple of years. We have you here as an expert. So, Jim, I don't even know where to start because why don't you go ahead and take it with the questions since we're all part of the creative collaboration here. Where do you want to start with this agenda? Um, yeah, so I think um, it, it would probably make sense just given the, given the, the, the cast that we have in front of us. Um, who graciously willingly to join, you know, spend their time with us here tonight. I think it probably makes sense to focus on the crew packs and then um, maybe we can save the book for another conversation, maybe get a different mix of people in here since there's a, there's a huge cast of people on that book. And uh, I mean, certainly related to everybody here. um, I was super excited that that discovery book is the most diverse group of writers that I've had on any project so far all across, you know, all the different, uh, uh, spectrums and and you know lifestyles, et cetera. And I'm super excited about that, right? But I'm super excited about this group too, because you were also gracious enough to work on the crew packs. So let's focus on the crew packs and let's just uh, you know go around. I, I'd love to hear everybody's perspective on like, like uh, again, I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back, but like when when you were given the opportunity to, to work on these characters, and I tried to do my best to give everybody cool assignments to to work on. Like, what was your initial reaction, and why did you say yes? To working on this, and uh, again, I'll just go clockwise around my little screen here, and uh, I'll start with Jesse. What what was your initial reaction? Uh, I was ecstatic, like freaking ecstatic, when you ex- asked me because, like, this is the first time I've actually been, ever been officially, hopefully, the first of many uh, times to be paid to actually uh, do something Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. which was absolutely wonderful. I was I was so excited. Um, but in terms of like the actual assignment, so I wrote um, Michael Burnham in season one and two crew pack, uh, Stemets in season one and two, and then Laurel, and then in season one and Jet Reno in season two. Mm-hmm. And what, one of the coolest parts of it for me was trying to create the characters and have like have have the characters evolve between their versions that I wrote for season one and two and have that reflected in like the stats and the descriptors for them instead of it just being like a copy paste mm-hmm. to be like an easy way to just say, all right, I copy paste these characters from one season into the next season. I like sort of asking the question like, where was Michael Burnham in season one? How do I put that into her character design? And then in season two, like what has changed? Like what, where has she changed? Well, how did her stats change? How is that reflected in how the game is played and some of the abilities that she has? And it was such a really interesting way to like, think about 
a character in a sort of RPG sense um, and think about like their evolution and their arc of a character in, in like literal stats of a character. Like did her command go up? Did it go down? Um, I thought that that was just a cool idea and assignment. And then also getting to like come up with stuff for Jet Reno, who is just a weirdo who I love. uh, was also really cool. So great character. Uh Yeah, cool. I just got kudos out to the Jet Reno write up just mm-hmm. because she's my second favorite character on the show. You might guess from my background who the favorite is. <laughs> For those who are just listening, it's Felita. <laughs> and uh, Jesse, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident I, I got this right, but maybe I, gosh, it's been a while now, so maybe I've missed it. But I was I was confident you had written up the some of the stuff for season three as well, didn't you? Yes, yes, uh, for them as I believe I did. Yeah. Um, I think I also wrote Stemmets and Burnham for that as well. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, so it's great, you know, I love the work that you did. I was so grateful. Um, but I have to admit, I, I'm going to be fanboy all over you for just a minute because because it was really, um, I, I was so nervous when I reached out to you initially if like you would be willing to write for the game because like I, I watch your channel, I watch your show, I love your stuff. It's so fascinating to read your perspectives on just all the different things you talk about. Uh, it means so much to me to, to listen to that and to have you be such a big voice in the in the Star Trek community, right? And I was like, gosh, I wonder, I wonder if she's into Star Trek or, or I mean, Star Trek, into Star Trek Adventures. I wonder. Right? Like, I wonder if she's into the game, like because I don't remember you talking a lot about the game on your show. Like you talk about the novels, and of course, I've got a lot of the novel writers involved in the game. So I figured like the the Venn diagram had to be pretty close to a circle, right? <laughs> so I reached out and I was like, oh, is she going to say yes? Is she going to say yes? And then you said yes, and I was like bouncing off the walls because I was so excited oh. that I, I was going to be able to get you involved somehow. And I hope that we have an opportunity to get you into it again because there's just so much great stuff that we can be working on. Oh, most um, definitely. So, so, you know, just I, I wanted to just take a moment of this show just to say, look, I had the fanboy all over you because I was so excited that you said yes. I'm so grateful you said yes, because I think you're you're a great voice. And I'm so glad that you're you're being able to contribute to the to the game. And I can't wait to see what what else you, you come up with or what we come up with together. You know, thank you so much. So. You, you're making me all feel all embarrassed. I'm going to hide behind. <laughs> I'm going to hide behind this triple. Oh, don't do that. No, <laughs> thank, no, thank no. You. I, I appreciate it. No, it was, it was yeah. an absolute honor. I'm, I'm a big fan. I was a big fan before um, yeah. and a big fan now. And, and the one sad thing is I haven't had a ton of opportunity because of the pandemic to play a bunch, but I have played. Sure. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So I was very much honored to do it. Oh, cool. Super cool. Super cool. All right. So I, I will, uh, I'll put my fanboy on the shelf for now <laughs> and I'll move on to, uh, to Roxanne. So, uh, Roxanne, of course you didn't have an opportunity to do any writing actually, but you were right in the weeds with me all throughout all three of these <laughs> projects, even yeah. going back, you know, a couple of years now to when you first started working on some stuff for the game line, but specifically sure. as far as discovery, like, uh, um, I, I just love to hear your perspectives. Like, you know, when you get assignments, um, is it just like, you know, another assignment or you're like, Oh, <laughs> discovery. Yes. You know, what, what was your reaction? I, to the- I was super thrilled to get to work yeah. on the discovery stuff. I, I have enjoyed discovery quite a bit. Um, I've had a lot of friends that were, were kind of eh on it for a while. Kind of like Michael was saying earlier about, you know, it took him, it took him a bit to get to really catch on to it but it really it really hit something for me in as far as modern sci-fi and the new take on it um that the show offered and so um having worked on some stuff for other eras i was really excited to see what some of the other designers were putting together for the discovery stuff and i was not disappointed at all i love the clean look of it i love uh the it's just so 
to me, uh, <laughs> uh, to me, to my eyes, it 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 is cleaner. It pops off the page. It really evokes that aesthetic of of future for us, but retro for for what we're looking at. It's got it's got a it's got a very modern and yet retro futuristic feel to it. It's 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 kind of hard to describe, but I really love the elements that were put together for it. Um, and I I had an awesome time. Discovery the the cast of characters on Discovery is probably my favorite out of all of the series. Mm. I grew up watching Star Trek with my with my dad, and so it was a very bonding thing for us. And so I I have all that love for like '90s Trek and and earlier. But Discovery feels kind of like my little Star Trek family. I, I love it. I love the the progressivism that we are allowed that we are able to see with it in this day and age. And uh, it, so I was I was psyched. I mean, I have a, I have other ones that I think I've talked to you about where I'm like, if that comes down the pipe, you know, I would love to to tinker with that. <laughs> so yeah, it's never just another job. Uh, it is it, it, with this line. Uh, Star Trek Adventures is actually my favorite role play game. So, mm-hmm. and I don't play it nearly as much as I want to. But, um, but yeah, I as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, come on, bring bring it to me. Yes, please. I, I have so. a cool question because I heard some chatter on social media and really want to talk about the origin, the art. The character art in here. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, that where we pull this art from. I know Jim's talked about it before, but I'd like to you know go into that a little bit, Roxanne. Well, we we pull a lot of that uh, from timelines, don't we? Um, from the timelines art for the Star Trek timelines game, um, and they have. I will say the the art style that timelines uses is really effective for print media as well. Um, it's great in the format that it's intended, but us being able to use it really adds to kind of, I love the, the rendered style of it where it's not just photorealism. It's, it's kind of got that painted look or that sketched look. And I think that really adds to, uh, I think the juxtaposition of that with the modern looking elements of the line art and things like that, the designs of the, it's not L cars, but essentially they're screens and things like that, that we get to, to play with in the layout. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that art so much. Well, the yeah. character, I, I want an oil, about probably a, I'd say a five foot tall oil painting of Philippa Giorgio because her costume <laughs> is so kick butt. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the emperor, the emperor costume, uh, man, and I'll say fitting that into that page was a bit, <laughs> was a bit of a trick because that, that flare on that skirt, I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, what yeah. supposed my, to do here? Yeah. My favorite one is I love Jet Reno in the season two one. Her look is great. I'm literally looking at it right now and she's got like the smock on. It's wonderful, <laughs> and the face mask, right? or the yeah. beds, yeah, the goggles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'll just, I'll just add that uh, we. Uh, so, a shout out. I know we'll do shout outs at the end of the episode, but I'll do a shout out right now to Joe Russo and the whole team over at Star Trek Timelines. Uh, we've had we have built a great relationship with them over the last five and a half years. Um, their artwork has been in most of our crew packs um, from almost from the beginning. I think uh, maybe DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise and some other ones. Um, and we just, we, you know, that's just relationship building over the years and, uh, they're super generous with their artwork and, you know, we're happy to provide, uh, um, artwork if they ever need it. Like, I don't know if they need our stuff, but uh, <laughs> we've got plenty of art if they want it, but we we're happy to trade, uh, you know, advertising space. And, uh, just, this is just a way that we're trying to build relationships with all the different licensees. 
uh, right? We've got connections with Star Trek Online. So we've got start connections with uh, Eagle Moss. We've got connections with Star Trek Timelines. And uh, the fans notice it, right? Like I, I see it all the time on social media that, you know, we're not, you know, Mendithius isn't kind of this monolith, right? We're, we're reaching mm-hmm. out to other licensees and trying to, I don't know if we're trying to so much bring it all into uh, like one shared universe. Of course, it is a shared universe, right? Because it's all Star Trek. Uh, but I think fans really notice when the different licensees connect to each other and you start seeing the same art appearing in different places. I think they really appreciate that. And uh, I can guarantee you're going to see more of that in coming products. So uh, and, rest assured. Yeah, and I think we all know the effect too, where, you know, say for instance, we played RPGs where we don't have our own character drawn and the same day yeah. our friend draws the character, all of a sudden <laughs> you sit hours spending looking at it, trying to say, oh, this, this adds a depth to the character. So likewise, I felt that when I got the, you know, you, you know, we write them up and we send the data in and then when you come back and you see the finished art piece, all of a sudden looking at it again, like, whoa, does this map, did this art or the, the write-up match the art and the intensity of the character? I just mm-hmm. want to, you know, to have a little cutout standouts of them and, and play play with them. <laughs> so just yeah, excellent yeah. job. I mean, having that relation with Star Trek timelines and integrating it in here, it makes the show even more real and makes the RPG even more real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I could go on about that, but I think I'll save that for a little bit later. Um, so uh, thanks, Roxanne. Really appreciate all the work that you've done for the line and uh, love, love hearing your perspective. So thank you. So, uh, Al, let's let's hear from you. What, what was your reaction to uh, to getting the work um, off the uh, off the cuff there? Uh, yeah, when I heard uh, the characters that you wanted me to write up, I was super excited. Um, I thought that it would really help me uh, learn the game mechanics a lot better. Um, specifically the advancement system, um, you know, uh, being able to see, uh, Saru through three seasons, I really sat down, um, and, and looked at, well, what does it look out, look like when I trade out a talent, uh, you know, a talent for another or, uh, an attribute for another, um, and how did that play out through the three seasons of the show? Um, of course, uh, being able to write the, uh kelpian uh species was really really fun um and i think we got a lot of flavor into that uh and it was you know really awesome that i got to do uh christopher pike's um uh first sheet and uh you know i can't wait to see what we're all saying about him in a month and a half you know um but yeah it was it was a good experience um i think that uh you know uh I think when you're talking about character arcs, um, New Trek does that um, with some of their characters very, very well. Uh, and I think that um, that transfers uh, to Star Trek Adventures um, quite readily, actually. Um, and I feel that even more after going through this experience. Um, you know, doing Ash Tyler was really weird because we had is he a Klingon? Is he a human? How do we merge these two species together uh, and get kind of like the best of both worlds? Um, and I yeah, so it, it was it was a lot of fun. No, that's great. I love it. Uh, and yeah, I thought I, I really loved the work that you did on the Kelpian species uh, layout, and then some of the other stuff you did for the uh, the actual the, the campaign book. No, did you do? No, you didn't do any campaign. Sorry, they're all getting they're all mixing together in my head. Um, but no, the the Kelpian stuff was great, and um, yeah, I mean, you just seemed to have a really good handle on it. And uh, I was I was thrilled that you were able to pull that, pull all that together. So it, it's always nice when I send stuff to Nathan for mechanical review because he's the he's the system designer, right? He had so few notes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hit it out of the park. So that was really great to see it. So 
Um, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Great yeah, stuff. I thought like like trying to figure out how to do like the threat ganglia piece, like how mm-hmm. would that work in the game? Yeah. Um was was a lot of fun. And yeah. you know, oh, when the GM gets threat, now you're detecting the coming of death. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, so we really worked that in there. And I think that it uh I can't wait to play a Kelpian. I, I'm yeah. really excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, uh, something you mentioned about uh, character advancement, you know, I was just reflecting on it while you were talking. It was like, it just dawned on me that like for, for other RPGs out there in the world, um, especially, you know, for instance, D and D I'm not going to hide from it, but uh, I I know that there's a lot of discussion about people talking about, Oh, my character advanced, my character improved. I leveled up. I did all this thing. I I grabbed these feats, et cetera, et cetera. You know, one of the weird things that I don't see a lot of people talk about on social media about this game is how their characters are advancing mechanically, right? I I don't really, I can't, I can't even imagine, I can't even remember the last time I read somebody talk about, oh, I get, you know, I earned an advancement or I earned a milestone and I got this new talent or I love, I I changed this statistic or I did. I I don't know if it's because like, I know that the the advancement system in the game is pretty modest, right? Uh, but I have to feel like after five years of this game being out, and I know there's some long-running campaigns out there, I have to wonder if people are starting to hit the upper limits of uh, of the of the game statistically. But I haven't really read a lot of reports of people saying, "Oh, the game's broken now; that we're all you know maxed out or whatever." Any, any I, thoughts on that? I'm going to speak to that because I, you know, I've been playing a game since 2017, and yeah. I, right now in my mind, some of the characters I'm thinking about are actually Al and Aaron's characters. Mm-hmm who have had major changes. The difference I think between Star Trek Adventures and other games is that Star Trek Adventures, in my opinion, matches more real life. You change, you develop, you have different interests at different time, depending on the circumstances you're thrown into. Yeah. So when we talked about this before, Jim, where, you know, oh yeah, I guess I'm really good at operations. Oh yeah, but I'm also good at writing. And there's different times in my life where I've had to have to use those skills in a job. And start, right. so we're all well-rounded but depending mm-hmm. on what you're assigned. And I think about Aaron's character in our game went from being the counselor to the chief science officer mm-hmm. in a period of about one and a half years of being on the ship. And, and it was, right. a, and it's not weird at all. It was a very natural evolution into that. Right, Aaron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was, it was a challenge for the character to get out of the mindset of being a counselor and being outside of the chain of command, so to speak, because, you know, you might have to take people out of positions of, of command but uh, once he's gotten into the, the science officer's position, you know, the way he thinks tends to actually support that position anyway. Yeah, it, it's just a natural adaptation. Mm-hmm. So, so with that in mind then, Aaron, because you're the, you're the example that Michael brought up, um, just you know, thinking in terms of characters, like, clearly the character has, has had significant growth and progression and change. But in terms of like the raw mechanical aspects of the character, did the, did the numbers change all that much? Much, or was it just shifting some stuff around? Or like, did uh, you make use of milestones at all in your game? Yeah, we we've used milestones, but I yeah. think I've only adjusted upwards one department, mm-hmm. like that, that he's had just just one, and then everything else I just don't care if <laughs> if it doesn't affect if it's not a part of the story, it shouldn't really be a big deal. Yeah. Like we developed a talent for the character because he had a theory about something. Mm-hmm. And now that whenever that theory kind of comes into play, I can roll a, a challenge dice to see mm-hmm. if it if if it matters or not to gain momentum. But that's that's about it. Um, to me, it's more important to develop the character's story rather than stats. 
Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I, cool. I think with that, that's well said because the story, you develop the story first and then you have the stats match the story, mm-hmm. which I think is very strong in Star Trek Adventures, that story narrative. Al? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, and um, you see that a lot in values, right? The value changes as you are progressing. Mm. Um, and and I, I mean, uh, working on this character pack, um, I actually went back and a lot of the values that I put on the characters are actual quotes that they said in the shows. Because how do you learn uh, about a character the best? It's through their uh, interactions and through what they say, right? Um, so especially with Christopher Pike, because I really wanted to nail that, like I went through and rewatched all of Discovery season two, and I just was jotting down quotes that came out of his mouth. And I'm like, oh, that would be a good value. Oh, that would be a good value. Um, so uh, I, I, I highly recommend that, like, you know, think about who your characters are when you make them. And, and if you have something that you say uh, quite often to your crewmates or whatever, make that a value, right? Because that is clearly something that's meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do the exact same thing, Al. I, I find that, uh, um, you know, characters will tell you what their values are if you just listen to them, right? So you just sit there and listen. And like, I, I've got my old, uh, I've got my old Alpha Smart Neo sitting right next to me every time I watch a TV show. And I'm just like, I'll hear a piece of dialogue and I'll, I'll pause it, jot it down, and then I'll go back and listen to it a couple of times to make sure I got it right. Because uh, canonically, we want to make sure we get the quotes right. But yeah, totally. Um, I love the fact <laughs> that you do that too, because it doesn't make me feel so... Uh, so weird, you know, constantly just, you know, trying to record the transcript as I, as I go. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, so uh, Aaron, let's go back to you and uh, just uh, talk about a little bit about, uh, you know, writing up the discovery for, uh, for the purposes of the game. Um, I was, well, when you, when you asked me to do it originally, I was like, yes, I have ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, because every, every episode of discovery I go through and I take down notes about the technology anyway, yeah. because I've always been interested in the science, technology, and starships of of Star Trek. Uh, That's kind of been one of those things I've had since I was a little kid watching TOS Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how duotronic computers worked because that was interesting. Um, But I had all these notes and I thought, okay, I'm going to write up Discovery. How do I do this? Well, you know, it's only made about 10 years after when the Constitution class was launched. So it's only going to be marginally better, slightly better from an unimproved constitution. Um, so around average stats, I, I had I had that down there, but it's obviously a science a science vessel. I didn't want to give it all of its points in science, you know, all of its bonuses in science, because no Starfleet vessel is really that specialized. But it, it made sense that as a vessel that would be um, using the spore drive. That it would have some sort of engineering bonus as well that there would be something there to support the engineering teams that were required for this experimental piece of technology so a little bit of engineering way more science because of the whole 300 um independent science uh missions that it could undertake at the same time Mm -hmm. uh for its feats though i i a lot of my notes from season one and two were lots of shuttlecraft so obviously an extensive shuttlecraft trait. I wanted to give the spore drive its own talent, um, mainly because it was so different from other forms of propulsion. And therefore, I had to write rules for it. And that's where all the notes from Nathan came in <laughs> on, on developing the spore drive. But, you know, improved sensors, advanced, uh, advanced laboratories, all those made sense for the, for the Starship to have as, as its base. 
And then sure. technical test bed, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to geek out for a second, Aaron Nash. I love asking him the, the science questions and the, and the really minute questions. So so on my last rewatch of Discovery 1, they basically, and am I correct on this? They kind of built Discovery around Paul Stamets, too. It was his experiment. It was his astro-mycological research that, that it was all about. Did that factor in at all when you were designing the ship? Sort of. I, well, I mean, USS Glenn and USS uh, Discovery were the two ones that actually had the spore drive installed on it. But Crossfield itself, we actually also supposedly see in canon, not in Discovery. We see it in actually Star Trek Three, when Enterprise and Excelsior and Space Dock, there's a very familiar looking starship in the back that Discovery was based on. Uh, the design of Discovery was based on. You see its nacelles kind of poking out from the in the interior spine of space dock. This is um, why I asked you. Sorry. Okay, uh, sorry. It's amazing. Um, I'm going to so go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go run and watch Star Trek 3 again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll see, yeah, you'll see the, little, the little nacelle kind of poking out of the background. And it's because it's Discovery was based on a test model yeah. of an Enterprise for the motion picture, I think it was. It was I think it was actually... I think it was for a uh, Planet of the Gods. It was like concept from planet, like one of those failed script Planet of the Gods. Like I that. think something like that. Yeah. yeah. So they used that test model actually in Space Dock to fill out Space Dock, and then they used that test model to base a design for uh, the Crossfield class. Oh my gosh! Wow. Okay, so, everyone who's listening, aren't you glad I asked? This is. The- it, this is why I ask Aaron these questions because he comes up with the stuff that's making me have to spend an additional five hours of TV watching. <laughs> so while while I while I do think that Discovery and and Glenn were designed with the spore drive in in mind, uh, Crod, the Crossfield class itself, the at least the original Crossfield wasn't. It was a very different class. It was more of a science, a generalized science vessel, and then those two spacecraft were more fitted towards the spore drive that's why it actually has the rotating disc and all that yeah interesting so so yeah so everybody who's watching this go go crash the paramount plus server and go rewatch star trek 3 and fast forward to the to the sections of the space talk and go see if you can see the cross field in the background there and then uh one uh, as long as uh aaron as long as you've got the floor here uh, i'd be curious to hear what, what's your perspectives about going from season two discovery to creating the uh the statistics oh. for the uh for the uh, a uh, am I allowed three. to? Uh, am I allowed to give spoilers on on? That well, point? I mean, by the by the time this airs, we're it'll already be out. So I think you're you're free to clear to uh, to chat about it. So one of the things that that came up with uh, season three of Discovery is that the way we design starships for Star Trek Adventures, the base space frames, uh, is based on year of launch, uh, how advanced it is based on what decade it came out. Um, so when you suddenly jump from the late 24th century to the 32nd, the system didn't really work that well. So I had to come up with a a new way of looking at system stats Mm -hmm. and that would apply directly to the season three of Discovery. And I came up with an idea called Imtech, uh, interstitial, I I forget the exact uh, wording that I used, but it's it's pronounced Imtech. And it's a way, to readjust the system stats on a starship. Basically, when it's refit with this technology, all the system stats drop back to lower values. And you might immediately go, 
oh no, you know, my Starship won't be able to succeed as well. It's not as good. No, but wait a second. The Intech system uses this very advanced computing technology. It's, it's as big of a jump from uh, transistor computers to duotronics. This Intech allows your ship to roll two dice when assisting. And you take the better of the two dice as your ships assist. If both dice uh, result in a criti critical success, they both count. If they both result in a, in a critical failure, they both count. That's the only drawback. Ooh, but basically, <laughs> but basically it, it makes it so your, your ship stats don't suddenly become like uh, 28 on a D20. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. I yeah, love yeah, it. I'll, be, I'll be curious to hear what the fans think of that once they start getting it into, uh, into play and on their tables and stuff. So yeah. but all, all, all starships, I think, starting in the 28th century have Imtech computing technology. Uh, installed and they have these new stats. I Starting at what century? In what century? I think it's the 28th century. I, I don't have my notes right in front of me. Well, I'm just thinking about temporal wars. I mean, we may need to, if we ever talk about temporal wars a little bit more, see who else has that technology. Well, like, and the temporal stuff does come come involved with that technology in that it uses these closed time-like curves to help compute uh, future possibilities. And that's how the computers are able to actually Dang. get an answer out mm -hmm. i'm gonna make everyone jealous right now um yeah he plays in my game <laughs> <laughs> awesome i think about time travel stuff often <laughs> that's good we might have to tap into that pretty soon um so uh so thank you aaron I always appreciate everything everything you just said so let's let's wrap up this first initial question here and go to uh Michael, I know that uh, you were excited about uh, doing some work on this so tell us about your experiences when you got the uh when you got the assignment. Well, I weep into my pillow for every assignment I get. <laughs> I mean, so that's, that's just my same reaction every time. Like, yeah, and it's not even just for me. It's because my dad, you know, my dad, you know, raised me up on, on Star Trek and he's from the South. And so just the fact that my name is in any kind of Star Trek thing, he's like, that's my boy, my boy over there is Ryan Star Trek, you know? So, so that alone is just kudos enough to, for my dad. So, so that, thank you for that, Jim, having that, being able to have that moment. What I loved were the characters I was assigned though, <clears throat> because we talk about evolution of characters through a season. First, I was given Lorca. His evolution was death by the season one. <laughs> so that was that was easy. Um, but but actually, he was one of my favorite characters to create because I was able to create a, a talent for him called Menagerie. And it focused purely on that lab that I was fascinated with. All those weapons. He had a Gorn skeleton. He, yeah, he, that was to me. I know that could that could have been I, they could have spent three episodes in that room alone if I could just get my hands on every single piece in there. So I said that has to be one of his talents. And I really wish we could have, you know, that's going to be another good uh, other dimensional kind of story if we can explore that room some more. Um, and then you gave me um, Captain. Uh, she became a captain uh, in one of them. But Ensign Tilly, um, that was interesting because honestly, I'll tell you right now, she was not my favorite character um when i first started watching the show but when i had the assignment to write her and really watch her over three seasons she really became my favorite character um one of my favorite characters because she is the closest we got outside of lower decks showing the cadet to instant experience and i thought that was really interesting to watch that growth so one thing people will notice if they compare the three packs is that her command skill goes up one point each season mm -hmm. And her skills also change 
from a little bit more um, inspiring and supportive to commanding. And I wanted to reflect that and then surprise what happens. She ends up becoming a Starfleet Academy instructor. So I just thought that was really, really um, fun. And then, of course, I'm in love with Philippa Giorgio. Um, I take Stanley's take on this to quote another franchise. There are no villains, only fallen heroes. And, and I really think that she symbolizes that and her stats were scary to create. I, I don't think I've seen another stat block um, where someone could just rip you apart. <laughs> I mean, just her skill level of fighting. She brought Michelle Yao into the Star Trek universe. You know, everything we know about that fantastic actor's career. Um, so so I'm going to just, I like the way I described her. I don't know if anyone caught it, but I described her as a tornado of razor blades going through a forest. And after it's all over, she's standing on the corpses of her victims, which are shaped like bonsai trees, because her death is elegance, her power is this elegance, her wickedness, you know, um, and I think watching her change because of her relationship with Michael Burnham over the three seasons, in the season three pack, you start seeing it. She's not losing her ruthlessness, but it's how she's applying it now. And the Federation softened her, and that really amazed me, and we know that you know, they're writing a whole show for the character, um, according to rumor, hopefully gets, you know, produced. But I think, honestly, she's the best thing to come out of Discovery. And so you giving me the opportunity to write that character, I was just the only one who you could have given me that I would have been just as thrilled would be Jet Reno, who I think needs to be in a more prominent position on every single show. And then the other one you gave me, which, of course, made me really was Spock. You gave me that, that, that scared me because I was like, oh, if there's ever a time fans are going to burn me, because I've been pretty diplomatic and never got in trouble with fans in five years of blogging. When you gave me Spock, I was like, oh, this is it. This is where it all ends. <laughs> so I was scared out of my mind trying to do anything related to Spock. So I, I don't know if I played it safe. I definitely watched it carefully and we'll just see how people react to my take on Spock. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'll be really curious because, uh, you know, of course, I, I, as of this airing, right, uh, you know, we don't have the license to do anything Strange New Worlds. Uh, when this comes out, Strange New Worlds will have premiered, right, because it, it premieres in, what, eight days or something. And so we can't, you know, do anything for start, for Strange New Worlds. But, of course, the Enterprise and Pike and Spock and uh, Commander uh, Chin Riley, like, they were all in Discovery. So we can use those characters sort of we can kind of like you know slide them in and that's exactly what i did for this crew pack and uh i'm just really curious to see what fans think of those characters at least our rendition of them right because uh, uh we were able to get them into the crew pack but uh, yeah i'm just I, I think i think spock was great um pike was great and uh um i, I wish i could have i wish we had the room to have given uh commander uh chin riley uh, the full-blown character thing right but just in the context of season two I felt, and this may, you know, this may be on me that, I, that we didn't see enough of her. Um, so maybe that was an oversight on my part. Maybe, maybe I should have just gone with it and just, uh, you know, snuck her in there as an extra page. But uh, I felt, at least based on what we saw in the show, she was really a really strong supporting character, um, but not a full blown, you know, lead in her own right. At least in the context of Discovery, obviously she'll be a major character in uh, in Strange New Worlds. So uh, hope, so hope you were right on that. You were right on that because I, when I had to, I, I actually had to do the support characters, including her, mm -hmm. um, and also Linus, who's one of my favorites in that. And yeah. but I think to your point with 
with both Spock and I'm sure Al, you probably went through it with Pike and I went through it with, with number one is I didn't want to commit to anything. So I, I wanted to leave it wide enough that it wouldn't be too big of a conflict come strange new worlds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, great. Well, that was a great uh, round robin there for initial reactions. Uh, and, you know, just in the background, like I, I tried to be, tried very hard to stay engaged and listen to you all, but I was also trying to think of, like, what the hell do I ask next? Like, what's the next question? Like uh, the, the crew packs, you know, as they are, are, are great pre-gen characters for you to use at your table if you want to play, you know, be player characters or with a little bit of adjustment, you can turn them into NPCs and drop them right into your game. Um, but I have, uh, great, I have great follow-up questions. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so in fact, I'm going to challenge each one of you to get creative right now and do some yes and improv, because I think one of the challenges when I get a crew pack is, okay, this is nice to have, but am I really going to integrate it into my game? So I do go into the, okay, which of these characters could I use and how would it be plausible to do that? I know um, I've, I had the pleasure of being able to introduce the original series characters to our campaign and it worked out phenomenally. I, we, Cisco, we were able to get Cisco back from the Bajoran wormhole, you know? Um, so, so I'm going to go around and play yes and with everybody and say, if you were to look at this and try to incorporate some of these elements, what would your yes and story be for your game? Let's start with Jesse. <laughs> Oh, got to start with me right immediately. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of fun you could do with specifically like where you're at in different parts of the timeline. Like one of the parts that doesn't really get, get explored, but I would love to see is that like time between the beginning of Discovery, the Battle of Binary Stars and Michael Burnham when she ends up on Discovery, where she is a prisoner. We don't get much of a sense that she did anything, but we all know as Star Trek fans, we can be like, she had a whole adventure while she was <laughs> while she was locked away uh, for mutiny. Um, so that could be a fun spot to get her at where she's at her lowest. Um, like maybe your like game comes across her ship that as it's not transferring to Discovery and she gets sort of brought onto the ship as like one of the people who's a mutineer and people sort of looking at her differently than we sort of see her character now that would be a lot of fun um i also like stemitz is a character who i also really enjoy in season one and like seeing his arc to where he goes because he is kind of a, a jerk to everybody especially in season one but you get a sense of like his um distance from Starfleet. Uh, so you can sort of like play with that idea of like, he was someone who was kind of drafted into Starfleet in a lot of senses. Like he was sort of brought in and it was the only people that would, uh, funding is the right wrong word because we don't have money in the future, but like we'll give the resources to his work and him sort of having regret at that. So that might be an interesting character to to play with before either before he goes on, uh, you know, on into Starfleet and be, meet him where he's like just a scientist who's working on some weird wacky mushroom research. Um, and he doesn't like Starfleet, that might be a fun place to encounter him. So you're talking about if people were chose to play in the Discover area, how mm-hmm. to get into some of those gaps there. Okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. expand it even more for the, the other people answering. What if you're playing in a different era even? Could you even, mm. yes, and this pack? Roxanne, what would you say on that? Who in another era, who in another era, who would I, who would I be? Who would I like to use to try to mold into another era? Ooh. I really, uh, maybe it's just because we didn't see them in any other eras, but I would love to see uh, Saru or a Kelpian mm. in another era and explore that knowing 
that they were in the past. Now I, I know all the, the stuff that happens through the course of discovery that kind of, I guess, kind of explains some things, but I would love to see a Kelpian on DS9 and just mm. see how they, mm. how they um, interact with, uh, with that whole economy and that whole, because it, to me, it feels so foreign to their way of life. Um, and but yeah, I I would love to see Saru, uh, or even uh, uh, his sister or, or a character like his sister, kind of kind of play off those those tropes and and bring them into something like a DS Nine, where it's kind of this this war torn, but also I live here on a space station. I'm not constantly traveling. I'm just living in space instead of living this you know uh, bucolic lifestyle uh, on a planet. That just. That, you just made me think of something really cool. Like what would the Kelpians think of the dominion given their experience with the Ba'ul? Like the, there's right. very similar, very similar vibes there would be interesting. For sure. Yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Kel, um, the Kelpians are only in the Star Trek Discovery character packs, right? The actual um, builds for them, Jim, is that right? No, they're in the uh, they're in the uh, campaign guide too. In the campaign guide, too. okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure about that. So. Yeah, they they were they were kind of previewed in the crew pack, and then uh, and then they were included in the in the campaign guide too. Cool. Yeah, definitely want to see more Kelpians. With that said, Al, what about you? Yes, and how would you how could you envision using this even in different eras if you had to? So I think that what I would do is I would um, have uh, someone just under uh, Voke or Laurel. Uh, get a hold of some vision from a time crystal and start planting things for future people to know um, to try to stop some event that they saw coming and make it be like this wild goose chase Easter egg hunt type thing um, set upon by the, uh, uh, you know, by the, by the houses of, uh, of Laurel. Love it. Got a Klingon era. Okay, okay. I'm not going to ask you any more questions about that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll let your creative juices work on that. Aaron, what about you? If you had a yes and. There's there's tons of things you can use. The, I mean, um, the mycelial network. It, not, it's not just for travel, folks. It's also for things coming into our universe of different kinds of life forms that exist in the mycelial network. Um, it also just tends to suggest that there are other layers of subspace that are similar to that, that might be like fluidic space, but stranger. Things where, uh, where the laws of physics aren't exactly the same and where dark things lie. You know, it's that kind of idea that there's space right next to ours that coexists and things can bleed over. And the mycelial network is great for that kind of, kind of idea. Um, the other thing I can easily see to use would be the Klingons. Um, everything in, in season one and two, the Klingons have these very different looking ships compared to what we see uh, in previous series. Well, I, I give an explanation why, at least in, in our write-ups, and I think that the ramifications of them using those ships um, and again, I don't know if I want to get how, how much spoilers I want to get into with what, what I've written for the campaign guide and, and, and whatnot, but there's, there might be ramifications or they find different things about their past on those starships hmm. um, that can have ripple effects even centuries into the future. And if I understand the mycelial network correctly, too, it's not only messing with subspace, it's also messing with time because we saw Discovery make a jump into the future 
in getting well, yes. the mirror universe, right? It, it's because the mycelial network isn't just strictly uh, coexistent in three dimensions, it's in four. So you can technically just move through space and time in it. And theoretically, you can move between universes as well. So, so there's a... There's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, there's a there's a wonderful book called uh, Structure Discovery Dead Endless, where that that uh, by um, sadly the uh, the late Dave Gallanter, who um, literally wrote that you could jump between universes. It's, it's a universe hopping novel within Discovery using the mycelium network. It's a really good novel that I'd recommend. It makes oh, really? complete, I have not I have not read that, but it makes mm -hmm. complete sense if you're able to move through time as they do that that would be something that you could also do. So really, the possibilities of any character from any era, any game master, any gaming group, uh, touch the right point of the mycelial network wherever they're at could have an interaction with Discover characters, mm -hmm. Discovery yeah. characters. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Or okay. multiple different versions of Discovery characters or multiple different versions of themselves. The well, that's what I was thinking. Road, the fungal road is one that can be traveled many times. Right. Right. Ride, ride the magical mushroom road. <laughs> Stamets dropped the word multiverse, you know, and so he could have shown up in multiple places at different times to have adventures that he's not even aware he had. That's just what I'm saying. Jim, what about you? Yeah, uh, th thanks. Uh, um, so, you know, in my position, I don't have a lot of time anymore to play the game or to even run the game. I, I tried last year, I ran a bunch of game sessions and it went really well. But like right now, I'm just so crushed with uh, with work that I just I, I don't have time to play. But what I do have time is I have I have time to read everybody's fantastic drafts, right? I read your manuscripts, I read your drafts as they come in. I'm so excited every time I read them because because like all my writers and all of you are included, right? Um, you always manage to drop in so many great plot seeds and plot hooks and ideas onto every page that like as the writer that you know the writer on hold right now, I, I get so many ideas, and then um, I I read social media, right? And I listen to the fans and I listen to what they're talking about. And some fans will just throw like a one one sentence comment out there or you know a little thing here or there and that'll spark some thoughts in mind like oh shoot you know looking at the the line as a whole right you're not just looking at one book you're not just looking at the discovery book right you're looking at the discovery book what happens if you take the discovery book and you add it to the shackleton book or you take the discovery book and you add it to the player's guide now, now what kind of possibilities do you have and then like everything just blows up exponentially in my head, right? And like, you know, just listening to you all talk, it's like, yeah, Michael, um, the mycelial network is a big key point for all kinds of story ideas. Cause like, who's to say that there's not a big nexus somewhere in the Shackleton expanse, you know, tied into all those spatial anomalies and all that weird stuff going on in the expanse that, uh, you know, Aaron did a great job writing up in the book. You know, who's to say a whole bunch of ships don't skate the mycelial network and end up somewhere in the middle of the Shackleton expanse and have to deal with the Vinchari or the, or the Calmerans or something, or going the opposite direction. Maybe the Vinchari stumble upon a way to get into the mycelial network and get out of the expanse. And now all of a sudden they're, they're let loose on the rest of the galaxy. And what does that mean for the balance of power? Right? So as a game master, like, you know, like, you know, we've been trying so hard to build a toolkit for you all with all these different products, right? Take a piece out of Shackleton, take a piece out of Discovery, take a piece out of the Player's Guide, you know, and, and then find new ways to combine them together and then just, you know, tell stories that, you know, the you know TV screen and the movies just can't even imagine. Um, and then you know, also related to that, you know, if you're talking about like how to use these characters in different eras, what I really love doing is uh, is now that the books are out there and, I, and I'm able to step back a little bit and uh, and kind of forget about the whole process of making them is like, 
oh yeah like you know if you if you kind of divorce the the setting from the actual story like you know discovery of course had a very specific story that it told but if you kind of like put that aside a little bit and just look at the setting like that setting is like about a decade before the original series like all those ship classes all those klingons all that stuff is happening when kirk and company take over for the original series so you know who's to say there's not a, a you know a cardenas class ship right off screen when the enterprise is doing some stuff you know who's to say that you can't run a completely fulfilling original series um campaign like in the classic original series kirk uniforms and then spock and everybody but you're on a you know you're on a um you're on the shenzu type of ship or you're on uh um, the medical ship. I, I, just, I just drew a blank uh, on, the, on the name of the ship. <laughs> um, but uh, Hiawatha class. Yeah, yeah, yeah Hiawatha. exactly. The Hiawatha. And so, like, for for the first time, we have a whole bunch of new canonical ship frames that we can use going into that movie era, like from 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 the original series all the way on out. Like, I know for a long time, the uh, you know uh, fans, you know, we we didn't really have anything canonically other than the Constitution class. You know, until you get to the movies, then there's the Miranda and then there's the Excelsior and the Old Birth, of course. But now you've got... Birth. What's that? Oh, I was just saying, gotta love the Old Birth. <laughs> yeah, had to, had to get a plug in there for the Old Birth because Michael's determined to run an Old Birth campaign sometime and bring some love to that to that space frame. But uh, so even if you go like backwards toward Enterprise, there's just a wealth of story potential there using the material. And then if you go forward through Strange New Worlds and then into original series and then into the movies even... Um, there's just so much stuff to work with. Like, even if you're, and I know there's a very vocal segment of fans out there who don't like Discovery because they don't like the characters or whatever, um, which is, you know, fine. It's, you know, to, if it's not to your taste, then that's fine. But if you, like what Michael did at the very beginning, he said, you know, he, he rewatched the series using the book as kind of a cliff notes and it gave you a different level of appreciation for the series. Um, you know, maybe that's a way to approach it is like, you know, look at the setting contents and the setting material that you can play with and then see what you can do with that you know with your with your new games well i'm always the first one to say to you know um writers who have the privilege of writing for like a star trek tv show can't go back and complain about the past they have to make it work and <laughs> yeah. so i i really challenge people who are gaming also don't spend all your time complaining if you want to use the mycelial network to explain why what we saw happen on screen actually wasn't reality. If you want to go that way, the, keep it positive and move it in that direction. If you're not happy, take your opportunity to rewrite. The, um, the way, what I've always said is the only people that have to care about Canon are the people writing the show. And even they can get wibbly wobbly with it. If you, it's <laughs> one of those things are like people arguing like discovery isn't Canon. It's like, well, like, if it's if it's if it's not for you, that's that's totally fine. You don't have to like say it's part of the way you view the world because it's a fictional world. It's totally mm -hmm. fine. I think that's fun. But I I love like the connective tissue that you were saying that what it brings between like Enterprise and um and uh and the original series. Like you were talking, Roxanne earlier about the visual look. Like I love how the blue uniform kind of matches both with what we see in the original series, but then also with Enterprise, and it feels like a good middle ground uh, right. between those. I think it's just it's just nice to like find places to play in all of that. Mm. I like I like trying to think of um, the Discovery era as being like the last part of the era that had the uh, Enterprise and the Earth Romulan War in it. That after after Discovery, there's such a sea change in the Federation and in t technology overall. But that's what progresses into the original series, mm -hmm. into the movie era. There's this, it just, there's a visual difference 
Mm-hmm. And it's because of the changes that happened right during the era of, of discovery. Yeah, the way, the, way I, the way I always thought about it was like the, the Klingon war, like after the Klingon war happened, like Michael Burnham's whole thing was like, oh, we need to like reaffirm who we are. And so that was like when Starfleet, because we don't see like the Enterprise in that uniform until Discovery season two after the Klingon war. So maybe they were just like, yeah, went back with the admirals, went back and was like, yeah, we need to like reaffirm that we are the peacekeeping force. And so they do do the uniform change. Like we're going to go bright colors now. We're doing mm-hmm. bright colors today. That's our new thing. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. It just makes sense that way. I mean, in the same vein, too, what I pulled from Discovery was I feel that was really the birth, in my opinion, of Section 31 being like, we got to be ahead. I mean, we, we have Klingon infiltrators who look like us. We we have no choice but to also have this underground that's doing something. I also think it was the birth of the uh, the the, the uh, temporal prime directive. Not it wasn't formed yet there, but like the Department of Temporal Investigations with everything Stamets uncovered. That's where if two things. Lorca died. Sure, this is a TV show. He, he evaporated. That intel proven otherwise. <laughs> evaporated into energy in the in the in the uh, mirror universe. You know, uh, so so who knows if you want to reintroduce Lorca as a villain? I think he's totally open play right now because of his, the way he died. Or but Prime even, Lorca's still out there. Yeah, but mm-hmm. even right, well, maybe yeah. They never said right, did they? No, they, the only time we've ever seen Lorca even, like Prime Lorca even appear is in one of the novels he does appear. Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually not canon, obviously, but it's the only like official Star Trek branded thing where he's ever appeared in. Oh, so See, there you go. And then um, Philippa Giorgio, remember the minute she steps into the into the Guardian of Forever at the Time Gate, she's yours. And and who's not to say that she really isn't working for Department of Temporal Investigation? I mean, you just don't know, right? And double, double, triple agent or something. So <laughs> I, I, to me, when I love a character, I work hard to get them into my game <laughs> and try to come up with as many creative ways to, to, to do that. So that's why I was happy to have these characters available now. I'll figure out a way to get Jet Reno into. I don't know how yet, but... <laughs> and she's so she's so unflappable, right? I mean, she could fit literally anywhere and she'd be like, yeah, okay. And then, you know, whatever. And, you know, give, give me the uh, give me the snacks and, uh, you know, I'll... Uh, I'll fix anything that as, needs to be as fixed. Long as, and, the, as long as there's Twizzlers, uh, I'm I'm happy in any future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, Snacks bring. I, me. I do have to say, based off that, who did who did Jet Reno? Jesse, you did her. I I did her in season two and three. Yeah, yeah. I will say that the only thing that that I was like, mm, I would have done differently. Her medicine skill. I, mean, she, I think she's a natural medicine four at least. Yeah. Even though she has engineering, I, I I was like, oh no, no, nah, she's Holding a natural. Tolerate heart in her hand i so i was playing with that and i thought about that sorry i'm trying to pull up my stats so i can like remember real quickly what i was thinking ahead you gave her an engineering five science four security three and medicine two see what i what i my thought was because she said like engineering is just like medicine so i gave her a high engineering but i would also think like you use things like insight to offset that and use it in that way so that that was like my thing but you're you're not in incorrect in it but i was just thinking the way she describes it it's like she not necessarily good at medicine, but she's really good at engineering and placing it into a medicine field. So. And you did give her field medicine, to be clear. Mm-hmm. So you did give an engineer field medicine to use unconventional ways to save people. Because that, that's where I was, when when that's happened on the show, all my attention went to that character. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a second, mm-hmm. who is this character? So Yeah, yeah boy, I'll tell you, uh, season season two, like I, I don't, I didn't have to go look at the list. I don't remember who all the writers were on season two, but whoever were the writers on season two, 
they did a fantastic job of introducing characters. Like I, I remember like when, when Pike was first introduced and Pike first came on screen, I was like, okay, I am 100% invested in this guy. I will follow him into the, into the, uh, into the, you know, the, whatever concept about the maelstrom, right? The nebula it's like, like this, this is a leader. He is, he is on top of things. And then so they did a great job introducing all the characters like, you know, Pike and Spock and uh, uh, Commander uh, Chen Riley, but yeah, bring, Reno too had a great intro. Like that whole scene with the kids and and the and the medical stuff and the whole story that she had. Like they were like, like they were firing on all thrusters, in my opinion, in season two. She and, was uh, she was yeah. the best character to write values for. Like one of my mm. favorite. I, it was hard because like she doesn't have like a lot of like good at like statements that like work as values throughout this. At least mm-hmm. in season two, um, other than like uh, helpless is a shitty feeling, but it's not forever. So I had to like come up with a few that were like indirectly from her, and I, I just had a lot of fun with that. So um, like one of my favorites is nothing is more reliable than duct tape and dilithium, which I just <laughs> I, I love that one. It was just a fun little bit. Yeah, you had me fooled. I thought those were all of them were. No, the couple, I, 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 I went through voice. every single scene. I went through every single scene that she was in, and and if it's hard, it was really hard with her to like directly pull. But I just sort of like obviously she's a big duct tape fan, so I I sort of like mm-hmm. fudged it a little bit to make it work. But yeah, mm-hmm. and gadgetry, you gave her gadgetry, which mm-hmm. is uh, yeah, yeah. I figured that would be the perfect one. Yeah, I like looking at all those focuses and see what people come up with. So that's really really cool. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Jim. I was just going to say, I think I've got one more, one more round of questions for everybody. And then uh, I, don't, I don't know if you want to wrap it up at that point or if, uh, if there's anything else you want to add. But uh, um, my my question for everybody that uh, I'd love to hear your perspectives on is like, uh, um, you know, what what is your number one hope that folks would get out of this, uh, out of these crew packs, um, either just enjoying them as a fan or if they're actually looking to approach, you know, doing something with it in their in their games like like of, of all the hopes that you have wrapped up in in it what what would you like what would what's the number one takeaway that you'd like people to get from it and i'll start with jesse i think for me because it's what i got out of writing them it's just a new appreciation for the characters um you know i i've been a discovery fan since it started i understand that you know a lot of people's criticisms of the show totally get it and like and again you can like it or not like it at, at your at your own leisure but for me i've loved the show but what i really love most writing all of these was just like finding out more and thinking more about like the the things that drive these characters forward especially like michael burnham i related a lot to her in in the writing of both versions of her that i had to do or all the versions of her that i had to do um and i think like using these characters from this show in in your stories and like finding ways to explore their characters in your stories whether they be someone you're playing or as an NPC, like find out like, oh, what are the things that make these characters tick? Because I think that if you really, really look at it, the Discovery writers have just drawn out these characters' arcs really well. And I think you can find such good places to like slot into those arcs in your stories and like find these characters at different spaces in their arcs and tell different stories that tell something about them. Because much as I love Star Trek prior, uh, Star Trek's past, a lot of the characters remain static for a very large amount of time in those shows because they were more episodic. And so what I think these different packs do is allow you to capture these characters Characters, how they change over the seasons so drastically and i think you can put those in your stories and find interesting stories to use them in in those ways within uh within your within your adventures mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful <laughs> nicely said uh roxanne what, 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 what are your thoughts there well uh what she said um <laughs> no I, I really i really do think um because uh again 
when when it first came out like i said i like like jesse just said i was a fan immediately it hooked me very quickly um but i had some very close friends who did not like it at all and it wasn't even necessarily the characters they just couldn't get past what they thought they were getting and didn't get you know they they Mm -hmm. wanted it to be the same and it it never it never even tried to it didn't ever pretend to be what previous iterations of trek were and um and they just couldn't (laughs) they couldn't deal with that i guess but if anything i do i i I hope they look at this and they say wow this is the technology the the characters the depth of the characters how um it's not just something that um you know, it's not just this character that I don't have to care about. No, you do. You see these characters grow. And, you know, I it makes me appreciate what the work that went into the characters all the better. And I really do hope that people do use that to to explore it, especially people who may not enjoy Discovery right now, but they like the game. And they're like, well, what can I do with this? And maybe it'll inspire people like Michael to, you know, the book made him go back and watch the show. I would love for people to gain a deeper appreciation of the entire era of, of Star Trek and, and stop trying to hold on to whatever, you know, they really truly uh, thought they were going to get and didn't get, you know, I want to, them to see the value in this era and the, the hard work that has gone into creating these characters and telling these stories and finding a way to put that in their game and uh, enjoy that uh, the same way that so many of the rest of us are, because I think every iteration of Trek has, has wonderful intrinsic value. And if we just judge it by its predecessors, we're never going to really enjoy the full breadth and, and depth of of what is being brought to us and the the, the true vastness of the the universe uh mm-hmm. that they've created mm-hmm. so I, I i hope i hope they play it and they're like okay this is this is this is good sorry i almost cussed but <laughs> this is good stuff you know <laughs> maybe maybe the hubris the yeah. hubris <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so um yeah so not not too different from what Jesse said, but but yeah, very very much. Uh, just enjoy it and find an appreciation for it. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, Al, I know it's a tough act to follow both Jesse and Roxanne there, but uh, at your two cents here, what, what what would you like to see folks get out of it? Uh, well, uh, uh, selfishly, uh, I would like to see more Kelpians in the game. Uh, people share your builds and whatnot. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but I really want, like, if you sit down with characters that are in the season one, two, and three pack, um, just see how milestones work. I see a lot of people asking, well, how do I advance? How do I level up? That type of thing. This is like a textbook way to see how the milestones work as you are moving through from a character's perspective um, through the seasons. I got to add to that. I'll spot on about that fact because this is the first pack to do that. I mean, this was a bold move. Honestly, Jim, when you asked us to do this, I don't know how everyone else felt, but I was kind of like, this is new. This is weird. Is there really that big of a difference? And and this is a, I don't know if this is even a first for any RPG from a major franchise to do something like this. Like I remember all the years I played uh, uh Marvel superheroes RPG. The only change I remember was Green Hulk to Gray Hulk, 
Spider-Man with the black costume. And that's all we ever really got out of 20 years of you know, all that. So that was, I think, a bold maneuver on your part. And it was, it's, it's worth people taking a look at in detail what, what, was ha- what happened there. I think it's yeah. really cool because like, like I was saying, too, it's like uh, if you took like Deep Space Nine may be different, but if you took like a Next Generation uh, season one, like Worf to like season seven, they might change a little bit, but like they would be relatively the same for the most part. Same with Voyager characters and even Enterprise, Enterprise even a little bit differently. But um, for the most part, like if you take a character in season one, season seven, most of the previous structures, they'd be for the most part the same. Whereas in Discovery, you take it from season one to season two, all the way to season three. Those are three vastly different characters, which I kind of I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I uh, I um, I was hesitant to do it because because um, we hadn't done it before, right? All the other crew packs are just you know one one shot and done, and uh, didn't really break them up by season. Um, but uh, for Discovery, you know, in my opinion, season one and season two and season three feel like very different shows. You know, e- even though there's threads throughout all three of them, all four of them at this point, um, they felt very different. Partly because the cast of characters changed so much from season to season, especially in season two, you know, Lorca's gone, you got Pike and Spock and uh, Una in there, plus some other characters. And it it just felt like, here's a great experiment to do two things. First, we get to bring in a bunch of new characters and and, and opportunities to play with them. But then it was like, well, you know, we we really haven't had a chance to do a product where we, where we talk about that character advancement and actually illustrate it. Like in the core books, of course, we talk about it and we talk about spending milestones and improving. And in the Klingon book, we talked about an, an alternative, system for advancement but we didn't we haven't really had an opportunity to to like show it in practice right and so i thought i thought that i thought you know why not and you know from a purely you know boring business perspective the 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 risk was pretty low right because the the um the the cost to to put one of these things together is not that high and um you know it, it was a it was like in terms of like risk it was a pretty low risk it's not like we were printing you know thousands of copies and like they're going to sit on the shelf somewhere because nobody wanted them <laughs> right you know pdfs are pretty safe pretty safe bets especially for this line because they they do really well and uh, i'm gratified to see that but uh, um yeah so it was an experiment michael and uh, it seems to be working like I've, I've heard generally good feedback but i'll just be curious to hear as it continues to get out there and people check it out consider um, it your spore drive <laughs> yeah yeah but you know i'm always trying to experiment with the line and do different things so you know anybody who has ideas let me know um have you know fans and and writers alike i'm always eager to uh to push the boundaries and see what else we can do with it uh al i i feel i fear we got off, got off track a little bit here um anything else uh, you'd like to add before we switch over to uh to aaron um if you're looking to use the spore drive in an era where it's forgotten um you could always use the scientific method, um, in, integrate that into your game as maybe a long-term goal that you might be experimenting with, um, you know, because your game is your canon um, and take what you like. And if you want your ship to have a spore drive um, and you want it to kind of make sense cannot, can't, can't, in canon, um, you know, have somebody accidentally stumble upon a spore and then work on uh, using the um, scientific method to discover how to do it. Um, Aaron, do you think that would be a good uh, use of that? I think it would. That would be a very good use of the scientific method as presented in the core book. Um, you know, it's it, it's there to develop new technologies or something that's so outside of the box that uh, an extended task 
isn't really the appropriate thing to use. So yeah, that, that would definitely work. Cool. And uh, Aaron, as long as you have the floor, why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, what, what would you like uh, folks to get out of the, uh, out of the packs? Well, I would I would actually start by saying the uh, having the different season packs didn't seem to affect me at first because I was just working on discovery, and there isn't a lot of change in the ship itself between season one and two. It's the same. It's the same vessel. It has the same mission profile. It has the same equipment. Um, effectively, the same crew, but where it really became different, where it became a challenge, was going from season two to season three, and that's obviously something that needs to be seen yet it hasn't been published as of when we're recording this but there was a lot of work that went into showing how discovery changed as it moved into the uh in into into the far future so there is quite a bit of change there um how what i would want people to get out of these crew packs i would say hey look at these crew packs they're from a time that's right before the original series even if you hate discovery you can look at these crew packs you can get ideas about uh characters or or possibilities based on these characters that will influence characters that go on to serve during tos the tos era that this is how the tos era can kind of progress this is where it comes from and here's your destination how can you put this together? And I think we do a pretty good job of trying to knit uh, Discovery and TOS together, both in these crew packs and in the Discovery campaign book. I think, I think that does do a good job of showing how the time progresses, how, how, how everything moves forward, especially after the, the Federation Klingon War. I mean, it's such a cataclysmic event that things obviously have to evolve and grow from there. So even if you don't like it, use it. You can use it to build story. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great thoughts there. Michael, uh, what, are your, uh, what are your perspectives? Yeah, I'll start with an analogy. I'm, I'm going to compare it, you know, discovery, like the comparison between old country and new country. And, you know, I'm an old country fan. I, I like old country. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I found out Dolly Parton is, you know, Miley Cyrus's godmother. And then all of a sudden I have to say, well, then I got to listen to Miley Cyrus, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm into new country. Um, and it's it's a different perspective. It's a different rhythm. It's a different beat. But there's history that's that's built in here. So, I, you know, I'll go back to I think my biggest revelation was we had an interview once with Scott Pearson. You know, of course, he's he's the line editor for everything Trek, it seems, from Simon and Schuster, including uh, for Star Trek Adventures. But his daughter was also um, in one of our session zeros, and she loves discovery. And so one of the things I try to approach life with is humility and be like, okay, let me try my best to see things from a different person's viewpoint. And I said, give it to us. Why? And by the time she was done, I was like, ah, this is purposely meant for a new generation. I mean, yeah, you could try to placate the 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 dolly fans forever but we're dying out you know and so the, i understand that there's marketing behind star trek and they're trying to create a franchise that stands the test of time and so um she gave me a really good perspective on it and i i came back to it and i think this book really nailed it the discovery campaign guide and these guides because it's a the universe is really 
we know, infinite and huge, don't fall in love with one thing. I mean, there's too much to love. So I think this, this is a good stepping point into that. So as a Star Trek Adventures fan, I'm looking at it for opportunities to integrate into the larger universe. Maybe I'll never have the time to get to all the games I want to get to. I know that as a fact, but I definitely have a million stories cooking. And when the time's right and one trip into the mycelial network, I'm going to be using these guides. So um, really, you know, just, just again, infinite diversity and infinite combinations is what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. I think, um, you know, just to wrap, wrap this up a little bit. Um, I, it took me a little while to get into discovery. I was, I was not quite sure what they were doing with it initially. And it took me a little while to warm up to the characters. I was like, I was, I was trying to figure out like, who, who am I following here? Like everyone's got kind of a weird thing going on and Lorca's not quite right. And uh, Burnham's not quite right. And uh, yeah, I was just, and they killed off uh, Giorgio and it's like, who, who am I latching onto here? And the first character I really latched onto was Tilly. And uh, I really grew to just love her because um, I think, um, she wears her heart so completely on her sleeve and she's so, she's so earnest and so human. And, and I think that's the one thing I love more than anything else about the discovery characters and the way they're written is, is that I think they're really the first show where people have like real human conversations with each other, like real hard stuff. And, and you can't just go away from it and go off to the next adventure next week. Like you're, you're still on the same ship with the same problems with the same people. I mean, it's like DS9 to some extent, but I think I think Discovery really doubles down on just the the human, honest conversations that they have with each other, and just like really working through the hard stuff that I think you know honestly a lot of people don't don't like to do. Right? Well, you bring, yeah, and you I'm know? sorry to say it, you bring up a good point before I forget it. It's because you talked about Deep Space Nine. I think what's different for this generation of watchers, we got to remember we're in the streaming generation. Yeah. That's a whole different way to watch TV. And as we know, Deep Space Nine is more popular now because it serves up better streaming than episodic. And so mm -hmm. what happened, the one disservice I actually do think is done is I actually think they need to dish these out um, like Picard and Discovery, um, just give it to us all at once. Mm. I know that there's reasons why they don't do that, but it does affect for me an old episodic watcher yeah. that I have to remember next week. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. I'm supposed to remember the plot <laughs> lines from last week. No, mm -hmm. I need to have a Saturday with a bottle of wine and binge watch. And that now that I'm binge watching back, it, now that I'm going back to watch the seasons and binge watching them, it makes more sense to me. So for yeah. new, uh, for old fans who are watching Discovery or Picard, understand watch it like a streaming and don't watch it like an episodic that, that mm. changes the whole rhythm of how it comes out. Yeah. That's interesting, Michael. Cause I, I think I, I don't know that I articulated that in my brain prior, but, but having watched them when they were first airing and waiting week after week after week, and then going back and watching the whole thing in the space of two days, like the, the, the second rewatch hit me a whole lot different. And I don't know if it's because like I knew what was coming or if it's because, Oh, I don't have to wait. I can just watch this one long, 12 hour movie, you know, in, in one, you know, go, as opposed to having to wait 12 weeks to chunk it out. I guess I'm curious, did anyone else feel that too? Or is that, is it just well, a kind of a. Well, that was the thing that was weird for me. I mean, I, I, you know, I caught like enterprise when it was still on. So I wasn't like completely new to watching Star Trek week to week, but I was, but mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was surprising to me to see the backlash at the show when it was first coming out, like in episodes, just because mm -hmm. there were a lot of people was like, Oh, all these characters don't understand Star Trek. They don't like, uh, fit the values of Star Trek. They all seem to hate each other. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the, 
see that's the arc of the show right that that they're going they had already planted seeds of like she's gonna earn her redemption i like seen that in like the first episode like oh they're planting these little seeds of like the whole arc of it is her having failed at star trek's values in the first episode and then her kind of going through and reaffirming them by the end of it and mm-hmm. i think it was for a lot of trek fans who were sort of used to like every episode sort of reaffirms it by the end of the 45 minutes that having that be reaffirmed over the course of 12 hours as opposed mm-hmm. to as opposed to one was what they got stuck up on yeah, um we, and so we i see think the hero's that journey it. for the yeah. first time that's not a movie we mm-hmm. see the hero's journey on a star trek show mm-hmm. which is really interesting yeah yeah okay uh well i know we could go on for hours <laughs> talking about this stuff all night like i know all of us uh, could go just days with all this stuff so i but i think uh, after an hour plus we should probably uh call it a night here and say thank you so much for everybody joining us for this uh for this conversation and uh, uh michael i know that you uh it's always important to a uh, shout out uh, uh people so um let's take an opportunity just to go around here again and uh, just uh, who would you like to shout out to uh, michael why don't you start just to give, set, set an example here sure no we'll, problem we'll, we'll go backwards around um we're all about celebrating the fans and the brick and mortar stores out here mm-hmm. um continuing uh conversations continuing missions blog so we have keith jacobson uh from the facebook group who wants to shout out around the table game pub in linwood washington he says it is the best game store he's found in the pacific northwest so that's quite mm-hmm. Uh, a mic drop them their their uh website is www why do i say that that just aged myself <laughs> it's attgamepub.com <laughs> so awesome. that's our shout out to the brick and mortar this week let's pass it over to aaron who do you want to give shouts out to oh, oh man um summit games in lansing and afk games in lansing those are the two places that i tend to go to uh well because they're the local they're the local ones but I like them both. They're, they're uh, both fantastic brick and mortar stores that serve both comics and games. So can't go wrong. Nice. Very nice. And uh, Al, any shout outs you'd like to, like to give us? Uh, yeah. Uh, Chromatic Dragon Games in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Um, they're about to start their first ever live session of Star Trek Adventures here in a couple of weeks. So um been hitting me up and getting pointers and things like that so um, we're hoping to get that rolling in a couple of weeks cool very cool roxanne how about you um you know i've uh i've recently moved in the last like year and a half in the pandemic it feels recent um so i don't have a good brick and mortar store to shout out here but if if i may be a little uh self-pluggy um i currently work for a um a candle store and just uh just east of uh, indianapolis called uh, epic adventure candle company and we actually have a few uh star trek related scents for anybody Ooh. that's interested uh we have a t earl gray hot we have pond far and we have vulcan um <laughs> when i saw pond far when i walked into the store i was like I don't know what that's gonna smell like, but okay. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get one of those. Yeah, yeah. my videos. Can you send us the link after this? Absolutely, please? absolutely. It's uh, for anybody listening. It is epicadventurecandles.com is where, and we ship worldwide. So, uh, or at least at least anywhere in the in the U.S. Uh, that I know of. But um, but yeah, we have those, and then. Just a real quick shameless self promo. We have a second season of our Star Trek Adventures actual play show called The Voyages of on twitch.tv slash work and rasp. That's going to kick mm-hmm. off 
um, in I think the second week of July. So um, right, send that link to us so we can list it on continuing missions. Absolutely, we we'll, do mm -hmm. we'll do that. We'll do that. Thank you so much. I have to ask, do you, do you make the candles in-house or do you? Are, we do, are we do. I actually right. just poured, I poured a tray of Earl Grey hot today because uh, we were out. Um, but yeah, I, we make them all right there in shop. Oh, that's awesome. So the only, the only reason I ask is the instant you talked about uh, Star Trek candles and you're talking about the scents and mm -hmm. stuff, the, the line from DS9 jumped into my head where they were talking about what does Worf smell like? And they said <laughs> he, he's kind of peaty. With a touch of lilac, <laughs> yeah, that's right. If I, if I remember it right, so it's like I, if you, I might have to make that candle and uh, and yeah. throw that in there. Yeah, it. If I mean, if anybody's going to be at any like Gen Con or Origins, we're we're going to be there. So oh, in awesome. fact, I I will be there selling candles. So if if you're looking for any, just look us up. All right, I'm going to have to put in my plug. Make sure to make an Umak candle too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there we. Just send me a list. We'll work on it. <laughs> I need to. I need to buy some candles now. All right, uh, Jesse. Who would you like to shout out to? Uh, unfortunately I'm on the same, I'm on the same page as Roxanne. I moved to Seattle recently, uh, mm -hmm. during the, re again, recently being a year and a half ago during the middle of the pandemic. So I haven't really gone out to many brick and mortar stores around here, but what I will shout out, we were actually talking about them before, uh, before we were, before we went live, um, was women at warp. It's a wonderful podcast. And I know many of the people uh, mm -hmm. on women at warp, like Aliza do a lot of Star Trek adventures. Um, and they do a lot of, uh, plays of that as well. I think they also do some podcasts that separate. So I'll just shout out women at Warp is an amazing podcast that I love listening to that I know has a lot of people that love Star Trek Adventures. So go listen to Women at Warp. They're a great podcast um, with great people. So And plug yourself too. You're quite around <laughs> on social media. So please feel free to. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me at Jesse Gender on YouTube. Um, I do the YouTubes. Um, so I, like I said, I do make videos about uh, nerddoms and geekdoms, a lot of Star Trek, a lot of Star Trek. Um, and I talk about social and political issues and LGBTQ issues within, within fandoms and stuff. So as we use science fiction as a jumping off point to talk about real world issues as, as the best science fiction is. So yeah, um, that's, that's what I do. Awesome. Awesome. And so glad to have you all aboard. Uh, I, I just, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to have such a diverse, I mean, look at this, look at this group. This is, this is diversity. This is Etiquette Action right here. And uh, I'm just so excited that you all decided to, uh, to say yes. So thank you. Uh, so shout outs. Um, unfortunately, like, like uh, a couple of you, um, I don't have a local friendly game store. Um, I'm sure that there's a bunch in the DC metro area. I wish fans would tell me which ones I should go to because uh, the, the best one that I ever had was a game parlor in Chantilly, Virginia. They, uh, they closed doors a number of years ago. So pour out a, pour out a 40 for them. They were, they were my haunt for the longest time. I remember working at the mall down the street. Um, I could close up shop, close up my cash register, lock the door and be down the street in 10 minutes before they closed at, at 10 o'clock. And I would buy a bunch of stuff and they would know just to wait for me because because I because I'd be getting there as fast as I could. As long as there was no traffic, I could get there before they closed. But uh, it was a dark day when they finally decided to close the doors. And I just haven't found another good one yet. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for a new home for my gaming uh, needs, you know, outdoors. Um, beyond that, I want to send out a shout out to um, uh, Joe Rousseau again and the folks at Star Trek Timelines. Thank you so much for your partnership over the years and for your fantastic artwork that we get to use in our crew packs. So thank you for that. And uh, also thank you uh, specifically for these uh, crew packs. Thanks to Mihao Cross, who did the interior design, the initial the initial concepting of what the Discovery layout would look like. We try to do a different theme for each uh, each main era of play. So he did the initial design work on the on the um on the on the you know just the book and the, the design and of course Roxanne took that and uh, realized it in full for the uh, for the crew pack so thanks to me how 
And then thanks to Roxanne for taking that vision and extending it on. So, uh, Michael, why don't you bring us home? Let's wrap it up. All right. It just gets better with time and mycelial networks. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for another fantastic continuing conversations. Um, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, IDIC. Yep. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.